welcome to episode 30 of I Am The Night, which covers episode 34 of Batman the Animated Series, The Laughing Fish. With me this week, we're back to the original dynamic duo, so here's my very own Mr. Richard Grayson, Adam Ray. Welcome back, Sam Mischa. Oh, it's good to be back. I had to take some time to myself to catch up with my dear lady, but... With the craziness going on of the Backstreet Boys selling out every single arena that they are in. But, That's an in-joke, folks. Uh, it's a very, not as in as in-joke as you'd expect. But I, sure enough, after my little side quest, I have returned. I have taken a brief swim upstream to catch up with Batman and the Joker in a classic, vintage, very out there but very fun story. And again, huge thanks to Max Byrne for filling in for the last couple of weeks. Max, love you, mate. Brilliant conversations. Yes, but let's talk fish. Um, three words. What an episode. Oh, so much fun, honestly. As you were pointing it out just from the title, you immediately recognised it was an adaptation from a classic. And you can really get that feel of it being like an old world sort of Silver Age story. And it's very much... That with great Joker, great Batman dynamics, we see them at their best. We see some good Harley Quinn. This is a great all-rounder story. It's amazing because, like you said, yeah, it it does. It's mainly based on a very similar story by uh, Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers called The Laughing Fish as well. But I didn't realize it also heavily adapts some Denny O'Neill stories and the very first Joker story from. Uh, Batman number one so it's literally a whole spectrum of Joker from golden age silver and and bronze age because that whole I hate to say it of the Joker but he is a genius his planning his methodology the way he can kill someone at the exact hour he says he's going to because he's already killed him hours before it's terrifyingly brilliant isn't it everyone makes out that the Joker is this agent of chaos and does things on a whim and on a dare because that's the most fun to him but I've never believed that honestly I've always seen him as this figure of meticulous planning and forward intent but he dresses it up with such mania so that you can still stay on your toes because you feel like he's unpredictable Mm -hmm. but he has the entire situation sort of mapped out already for so that he's not surprised by what he knows he might not do but he says none of it, even to the rest of his other goons, because he wants to keep that air of unpredictability. It's a very Sun Tzu sort of move. You're so right. His capers, the ideas, are wacky, crazy and bonkers. But the methodology and the planning, hmm. that's the most organised mind I've ever witnessed. I mean, it, it's it's absolute genius from... Binary compounds to poisons that only affect fish, then being adapted to affect other animals too, which we'll come to um, later in the episode. But I've got to go back to the very beginning, how it starts. First of all, the title card's animated. So I thought, oh, there's no title card. It's gone straight into the story. That again, from that second, you know this is going to be a special story. And then, of course, you get writer Paul Dinney, director... Bruce Tim, the pillars of the show that brought it together, yeah, the creators of the show, and you know that this episode is going to be a step above, a step above what's almost bordering on perfection in the first place. It's uh, already a step above most procedural cop shows or most TV God, done yeah. today in a half of the time, and with no physical actors, we get 
an intense pulp thriller because we mm. are wondering about the acts of this one criminal figure that's off screen until basically the end and we don't see him confront Batman just face to face until right at the end of the story we don't we see his effects and we see him going into yeah. places and putting up threats and putting up ultimatums we have to earn and we struggle with Batman and the police as we wonder how he's going to strike next are these yeah. people safe what's going to happen it's it's so well done. I mean, from the opening sequence, the, the direction of the episode and the fact that not a word is said for a good minute or two and the storm, the rushing waters and that whole, like you said, noir pulp bordering on old classic horror movie vibe mm. from the opening and the really subtle storytelling of the camera panning towards the docks and passing like a little newsstand saying Joker's still at large, things like that. It's vintage storytelling. You get all the information up front without ever being told something directly. It's all there put in front of you for you to absorb, which makes it really easy for you to feel like you're actually involved in walking around in this world because the quality of no background music, mm. we just hear the rushing wind yeah. and the sound of the rain, so we feel like we could be on that dock and we see those distinctly different warehouses with the like seafood restaurants all down that Broadway and then we see that huge vessel that big ship that's just pulled into harbour we feel like we're part of this world the vision of Gotham so well realised that we are sucked right in without a character drawing us in verbally it's such a opening way to tell the story and then you get that scene of those three fishermen opening up the nets and we we go from like the dark late night shipping container sort of harborside to the bright white fish with the bright red lips and the bright green fins it's just such a strong colour contrast that it just punches us visually and we're drawn right in and we feel the shock with these sailors totally and they use that kind of juxtaposition in lighting and imagery throughout the course of the episode but it's it's brilliant done because there's so much black in this episode from those opening shots and again you know what a sucker I am for thunder lightning and the classic iconic Batman hunched over a rooftop in the rain yeah beautiful he becomes one of those and unmoving stone gargoyles almost he's one of those figures that's always hanging out literally just to observe and watch and keep safe and guard over places like this because that's what he is for Gotham and always will be so he knows that even though the joke has been doddering around here and they're doing odd jobs and random crimes this is his actual moment to strike to do this big grand thing of turning all of the fish in the Gotham River into smiley fish it's terrifying Terrifying. and it's extra terrifying when you figure out that most fish in that part of the world wouldn't really have teeth let alone big teeth Mm -hmm. so it's more than just dying them it's mutating them yes so it's some strong stuff powerful powerful wizardry and we go from those like we said dark horror elements to oh vintage comedy as only Batman and Alfred can deliver with, with the Dark Knight arriving at the Batcave with a mutated fish, plopping it on a tray, and Alfred saying... Dining in alone, sir. <laughs> Dissection tray, please, Alfred. Oh, 
dear lord, it's just magic, isn't it? Truly is, because that's the... When you go from seeing something that dark and gritty of that port side at night to the shocking reveal of those weird warped fish, having that little sort of like emotional tickle just to remind you that Batman's on the case and Alfred's going to be there to lighten his mood because he's going to be grouchy if he wasn't there. We get that just to sort of remind us we know these characters, we know the situation. He's going to foil the bad guy eventually. This is the road to leading to that. And we can breathe a little bit as we start to see him begin that process and it's another one of those aforementioned tone changes like we said with the pure darkness storm rain lightning to the brightly colored evil looking fish going from those scenes to this lovely wonderful family moment in the cave really rewarding to, to get that sort of like calm down before it picks up again when we see the joker at his worst at his very worst and of course we can't have Joker at his very worst without the wonderful Arlene Sorkin, the original Harley Quinn, returning at her absolute sublime best. Now, please tell me your thoughts on that fantastic TV ad for Joker Fish. Well, it was it was punctuated. I mean, her being like a motherly figure trying to feed the kids fish for dinner is like a normal thing. The hench kids. So the hench kids <laughs> was what really punctuated it for me. I mean, honestly, just oh, seeing God. those two huge dudes dressed in like overalls like Timmy and like the the big frilly dresses like Sally or whatever you get from like the 1950s adverts. It's really good that they kept it sort of like the old look of the advert was like those 1950s Americana adverts. So true. Which, like, if you look back on them, are kind of a problem. But when you look at them just as they are, they're a lot of fun. Except for those weird, distorted, things shouldn't be where they are versions I keep showing you on those weird Facebook pages. Yes, you strange, strange man. They're, they're fun. <laughs> they're a lot of fun. Um... But still, we get vintage Harley Quinn at her best in a lot of sort of guises in a way. Like, I want to talk a bit more about like, yeah. some of the later scenes, yeah, but like, definitely. there's more to the character from the offset, because this is the second time we've seen her on screen, but there's still so much to her. We just don't know if there's like a weird sort of romantic fascination there that we later go on, no, goes on to become more developed because she still refers to him as the boss, yeah. not as... And the boss first earlier in the episode and then put in later when he's presumed lost at sea. No. No. Even Batman says no. But we do... Like, personally, there were moments when... um, Like, jumping around and, like, the chronology of the episode a bit. Right at the end when Batman and Bullock are in the shark tank. Yes. There's a long sequence mm-hmm. of the Joker laughing his face off, but she's looking a little uncomfortable. Yeah. What was that about? Because yeah. that was just the initial doubt that has been like the sort of um, dynamic that has went on to Harley Quinn as of now in current continuity. There's been that break there, which is good for her because no one wants to be in that kind of relationship, but... It's still interesting to see that that sort of like tension was there from the literal beginning. Yeah, from episode two, the Joker's already starting to be a bit of a dick. 
Um, first of all, he delights her by saying he's going to turn her into a mermaid. And then puts but, a giant fish in yeah, her Yeah, rather than giving her a beautiful fish tail. <laughs> a giant fish tail. You see her tiny little eyes looking at him and said, you're mean, boss. And that's the boss bit. Like I said, the pudding bit comes later, but you're so right. And I made a note of that, that when they're playing the whole fun and games in feeding the shark... Uh, an appetizer of, of Batman followed by a main course of Harvey Bullock that she's looking at him like this guy is actually starting to terrify me mm. and it's no words are said and if you don't look at her if you just keep your eyes on the action and on Joker and what's happening in the shark tank it could be easily missed mm. I didn't pick up on it until this viewing mm. so you can already see an evolution of the character just going from being his mindless servant to thinking what the hell am I doing with my life? And I didn't realise it happened as early as her second appearance. I was always going to try and make an effort to observe Harley Quinn. She's a, she's a personally very interesting character to me. So seeing, oh, absolutely. That, seeing that doubt from this early on gave me a lot of hope for the character because I was very worried. Not to discredit Paul Denise writing or anything because I know he ultimately created this character. Mm. I was worried that that sort of dimensionality to her would have to be sort of earned or sort of come through later. But the fact that she was showing this sort of uncertainty from the beginning, yeah. but then flipping back to that devotion later, just makes her extra interesting to me. And shows the deviousness and the manipulation of Joker that he keeps bringing her back. And yeah. that's the cruelest uh, torture and manipulation of all. Now, um, please forgive me, son. This will be good. But... Um, I couldn't help but think of one of the most legendary rock bands of all time, Queen, so many times right. throughout this episode. Well, first of all, the thunder and lightning, very, very frightening at the beginning of the episode, all the way to the goons in drag, <laughs> and I want to break free. It's all I could get in my head, because it's that same, like you said, that setting, that homely mm. 50s um, situation comedy set- setting, and it was just... Fantastic. Well, it's interesting that you draw those conclusions because personally, I can't look at an analog clock set at five to midnight and not think of Watchmen. Wow, deep. I can't do it. Yeah. it's got to a point where I haven't been in a while to a department store or like a homeware store in a while because everyone's gone to see the Backstreet Boys. But, <laughs> but. COVID-19. COVID-19. But whenever I'm in a department store and I see a clock section, I will wind as many... And I'm bored with whoever I'm with. I will wind as many of them as possibly can to five to midnight. You are scary. No, it's just... And I love it. Well, I am the product of my upbringing. Blame me. You you gave me that comic when I was 12 years old. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, it's good. It made me better. When uh, the aforementioned lovely Max Byrne and I were talking Watchmen, again, I pointed out, and I've had some comments from... uh, from people when I mention it to them that uh, even the blood splash on the smiley face badge is set at 5 to midnight yeah so yeah deep but the first shot of the smiley face badge was at an angle so it was pointing at midnight because that is the start of the end yes that was the point of that absolutely um wrong comic but still one worth talking about it's good that we can see analogies to different sides of culture whether they were intended or not in this great great episode absolutely i'd also like to say that this episode was like circling back from what we were talking about from harley quinn i'd say that this is a great great 
supporting characters episode. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Because we get a lot of good police stuff. But I really wanted to talk about the fact that Bullock is actually a good detective. Oh, there was no doubt of that in my mind. Even in the comics, he was a grumpy, cantankerous um, git that softened and actually became one of Batman's most staunch allies. And again, we can see the slight development episode by episode in this show. But yeah, he's a good cop. Because it... It's explained by Batman for the sake of the audience, but mm. we see him storm out, and then we immediately jump cut to him going from the second victim's house straight to the aquarium. He didn't need to stand there and think about it. He knew straight away where yeah. he should go. That's really good association and great detective work. I've written that down in my notes. Detective in capital letters, mm. double stroke underlined. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, he's worked out that... Um, that's no cod or yeah. halibut or something that's you a, stick on a plate. That's, that's, that's a strange fish. Maybe yeah. I should go where the place where they keep the strange fish. Brilliant. And, uh, well, getting fish to look like that, again, I have to quote our fellow Brit, Alfred, and say, hmm, perhaps this will cause a stampede for pork. Excellent, Alfred. I forgot about that line until you just reminded me of it. <laughs> I just remembered the Dernian so for one. Good. but true honestly yeah um, we get that real indication that there's a lot of stuff going on and the side characters are reacting to it in realistic ways most of the time in media like this today mm. side characters like that are just here to like repeat or reinforce what the main characters are doing they're plot devices they're in plot most devices, cases yeah. but in this case they are real characters oh, yeah. with real reactions oh, that yeah. really push the plot along and make us feel like we're in a world and we're seeing Batman day to day sorting out the Joker's fishy antics. Yeah, absolutely. Something very fishy going on with Joker this week. But it's you're so right. It's not just Harley and Harvey. Oh, blimey, they rhyme. Weird. Oh. Um, who stand out. So does Jim and the GCPD. But also the jokes, Joker's victims. I mean, the level of detail. I mean, the, the two main victims, the uh, copyright guys... That's almost totally taken from the pages of The Laughing Fish by Englehart and Rogers. But the whole methodology goes right back to the Joker's very, very first appearance in Batman number one in Batman versus the Joker, where he prophesies people's death at a certain time. And it happens There's a couple of people actually die before Batman gets onto him. And it's quite terrifying. And we see that in this episode so brilliantly done because the victims only appear for a couple of scenes, but you learn so much about them. Ordinary guys, working a Joe job, probably get no respect, you know, and they're marked for death by Joker. Obviously, in a Saturday morning cartoon show, they're not going to die. Batman's not going to fail. He's going to save them with an antitoxin. But the fact that their demises are so clinically planned, first of all, the first guy, slapped around the face in the fish in his own office... Harley says he stinks. Spacing with perfume. You forget about it. Yeah. Until he's locked in that room with Batman and the police. Um, he mentions being sprayed. Batman loses his mind. Yeah, because that's a reasonable concern. Because he knows the deal. <laughs> Giant swordfish rocket flies through the window, releasing the gas. Yeah. Everyone's coughing. Yeah, and it just works out so perfectly timed because even then technically if Batman hadn't pushed him he would have been impaled by that giant fish anyway yep. so he would have died or he would have died yes absolutely and then the second victim which for me or probably for you as well being cat owners was even more terrifying because yeah. 
Batman states that this compound's genius. Joker's not trying to poison Gotham by feeding him fish that will kill him or turn him into Jokers. He literally just wants to make some cash to fund his nefarious schemes, which Joker even says over the episode. But the cat. Yeah, the cat brings the poison. And it's quite insidious because we see this huge perimeter of cops and the cat just saunters by and very obviously has the fish, but just toddles along, all fluffy, very easy to see. And that's the silent sort of killers, those unsuspecting threats that make ordinary things a bit more scary which is what I find true horror should be trying oh, to do yeah it's a, it's sort of like huge grandiose unrealistic monsters and like deranged serial killers those are all fairly out there if you put something really ordinary and make it really dangerous that's way more scary absolutely and who's gonna suspect a pet I mean it's literally the most original agent of death ever and like you said a cat's just gonna walk by you going ignore it it's got a fish cool Cats uh, landed some dinner. Fantastic. But as soon as it gets into that house and that scary little scowl and little hiss and meow they give it is brilliant. And again, it's pulled straight out of the pages of the comic. But um, again, we see another level of Batman's genius where he disguises the victim as himself and he disguises himself as the victim. So that whole um, cosplay thing, that the whole game under cover the whole disguising if you've seen recently in the last four or five episodes comes to play here but he didn't plan for joker being that meticulous than to kill the victim with his own cat who'd recognized by scent his master not by look it's a real testament to a side that doesn't get a lot of love about batman because we see this show emphasizing batman as the detective and batman as the problem solver and batman as the redeemer of lost people rather than the punisher of the wicked we don't see a lot of Batman the Master of the Skies, mm. which we've seen based almost two stories in a row. Mm. Uh, obviously, the excellent Robin two-parter just being a little break in the middle. We, like, because one of the first stories you ever sort of beat me over the head with when I was a much smaller child was when he first sees Matches Malone get gunned down in mob crossfire mm. and he takes on that persona just to have a yes. way in to the classical mafia crime families. And that's an alias I think he still has. Yes, Matthew Malone is still around. Which is so useful for him. But that ability to disguise yourself so well, especially for Batman, who's such an imposing sort of physical figure, it's a real skill that is unsuspectingly useful Mm -hmm. that he uses so well in that Cape and Cowl story and here. Yeah, because he disguises himself as one of the villains in the Cape and Cowl and we've seen it right from the beginning of the show, actually, when he goes undercover as a homeless person in the uh, the Forgotten episode as well. So it's used so brilliantly. It's amazing that this animated show um, adapts and uses so many sides of Batman. And that's why I love it. It's just brilliant. Now, I cannot finish this episode without talking about... We've talked about how Batman is so Batman. And so many aspects of Batman. But I have to talk about the Joker and his puns and his alarm systems. The way that the way the Batmobile broke the perimeter and set off his little didn't Joker alarm and then how he alerts his, his goons. goons with a whoopee cushion. <laughs> That's a side of the Joker that must always stay true to me. He is 
made of those old-timey <laughs> oh, vintage gags. God, he's such a clown. He's the kind of guy who would strap chattering teeth to a grenade so that the t- so that the grenade latches onto you and it blows up. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of guy that will put like really intense neurotoxin into crust- into custard pies. He makes the really funny things really terrifying. Oh, there's our own cat. To make sure she hasn't got Joker fish. <laughs> but that's just the beauty of the Joker, and his one-liners are among some of the best we've heard from him. Oh, brilliant. Yes, listeners, you heard our baby Mimi there in the background trying to break into a cabinet. So um, she takes off the Selena in so many ways. Right, so we've talked Joker, we've talked Harley, we've talked Batman, and we've talked Harvey. And... Let's talk about the episode itself. As I mentioned, so much black. And during the scenes with Harvey in the uh, fish tank with Batman being thrown in as well, the blood in the water, throwing the bait, we get some lovely lines about a a certain clown-based burger company. (laughs) Now, what did you make of that vintage Joker line? Oh, that was truly excellent because I've... No, it's not necessarily those two, but I sort of knew clowns from personally when I was younger from that clown and the Joker. And they're two very different clowns, obviously. Not off. But because of the Joker, I couldn't see that clown as anything other than Insidious. I don't remember a time personally when clowns were fun or funny. Well, yeah, you wouldn't do. Not between Doctor Who, Sarah Jane Adventures... Batman and everything else, they are always they've always been a figure of fear for me. And you haven't even seen the it movies or read I've the book, seen, so. I've seen enough of the original and the remake to see that that entity, because I know that it's not just a normal clown, to know that that entity is really terrifying. So, yeah, they were always pretty insidious to me. And him making that kind of gag and comparing himself to a mustachioed colonel who loves chicken... <laughs> Brilliant. He can copyright chicken. Why can't I copyright fish? They're a natural resource. Yeah, and I'm the joke. So I can sort of say with a little bit of instance that him drawing on pop culture makes him relevant and connected to a what's up, but it also shows a little bit of what he likes to eat, which I find really funny. It's very, very enlightening. Oh, so so joke I mean the fact he's got an idea of that Harley's right fish are gross let's go into cows and he pulls out a big whopping mound of mincemeat from a bag to throw into the tank with Harvey and Batman to talk about Happy Meal I mean that to me is genius and we get that thing we talked about earlier where the scene setting and the marriage of high contrast black and white lightning and storms where Batman gets to the Joker's hideout he's literally going down the passageways in darkness in shadow beautifully directed and then suddenly he shines his torch his flashlight to a corner and there is the bright garish purple green and white Joker and that imagery again stunning uh, it cuts through just to show that there's a something unusual here in this darkened area and we expect the villain to be the figure of darkness but the evil villain figure of light is yeah. a very unique take that I've say it's a very unique take just mostly to the Joker but 
still something to fear and to mistrust. Uh, we see him at his worst in this episode. It's something you and I have discussed, and I've discussed whenever I'm asked to talk about Batman, which happens a lot in my life. I don't mm. know why. Maybe people think I'm a fan or something. Maybe. Who knew? Um, that yeah, Batman is a gargoyle, a demon, a, a figure of the night, an avenging monster. But he's a hero because inside he's he's got a heart of gold and he's pure goodness. And Joker, a figure of light, fun, mirth and humour, a clown, on the inside is the biggest monster of them all. And that whole definition of the two characters, their whole opposites, the whole yin and yang, two sides of the coin, two sides of the playing card thing, is what makes them eternal and classic. Yep, that's what has been able to keep them persevering for almost the entire 80 years of Batman's existence, mm-hmm. like very close well, it to... it's 80 all... years now for Joker. Ah, this brilliant. Eight, Joker's 80th, of course. Of course it is. So we can say for sure, as long as they keep that dynamic as strong as they can, and keep those distinct differences as distinct, but still sort of find ways to play within that, writers can have these two antagonists going at each other forever. Literally forever. Brilliant. Right, we come to the part of the show where every week, as always, Adam, what were your main standouts, things that made you laugh, things that made you cry, favourite moments, good or bad? I particularly enjoyed just seeing the Joker at his best and seeing him as a looming threat somewhere off in the distance. I also like to see that there was a little bit of a recurring theme going on. I don't remember when it was last done. It might have been way back in episode two in the Christmas episode, where they were able to keep a sort of running gag with the Joker they've been able to put into this show where he's tiny little almost breaks the fourth wall by yes. saying now a word from our sponsors right before the advert break yes absolutely it's something that highlights his not insanity and again we've talked about this a lot his possible super sanity um, again going back to Watchmen where Alan Moore made the comedian the darkest character arguably in the whole book and call him the comedian because he got the joke Mm. and I think that's what's happened with Joker his life's been so destroyed that he realises that the whole world is a joke and he just sees through everything which is one of his most terrifying aspects I've got to put my hat off to Paul Dini and Bruce Tim for not just creating an iconic piece of TV but basing it on iconic comic books and showing once again the love and respect for the character's history. There's wonderful stories to be told across the decades of material that these characters have been around in. And as long as they're able to do that kind of respect, and as long as the rest of the writing team that creates this show has been able to do so, there's a absolute treasure trove, and it's all wonderful stuff handled perfectly by a masterful creative team. Absolutely. I could not have put it better myself. Well, that's it. That's been I Am The Night, episode 30, looking at The Laughing Fish, the 34th amazing chapter of Batman, the animated series. So, Adam, great to have you back. Good to be back. Tell us where we can find you and your works. Uh, You can find me on our Batman-flavoured Enterprises of Dark Knight news, reviewing multiple titles per month. It's good to have regular titles to look at again. Oh, yes. And you can find me on our little endeavour, our true love, our ever-growing pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com, where I review many things about uh, PC gaming and tabletop gaming as 
uh, combination. You can follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer, and you can find me on The Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube playing games with some of my dearest university friends. Yourself, sir? Um, every week I'm on this fine show with you or with a guest talking Batman the Animated Series but this is only one of four shows which you can catch on the DC Comics News Podcast Network of course there's the original DC Comics News Podcast where my friends and I chat everything DC movies, TV, comics and everything else you could possibly imagine related to the company and then there's the spinner rack where my colleague Seth talks about the latest DC releases every week and tries to pick the best five so you've got an idea of where to spend your time and your money and of course there's Mad Love the Harley Quinn cast similar to this show but a lot more sweary Mm -hmm. where my friends talk about every episode of Harley Quinn the animated series all those shows and this one can be found across Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Play and Stitcher DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, where you and I do a lot of our writing, can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Instagram. As for me, again, chat to me on Twitter at L underscore Stevo, S-T-E-E-V-O. And you can always please subscribe, rate, and review to all these shows. Uh, I've also ventured out to do a podcast with the Comics in Motion team, talking about um, heroes that people may never have heard of. We're using this your questions and we give you the answers on superheroes for dummies. Please check those out. Please check out Comics in Motion's feed too. They are lovely. But until then, um, this has been us, Adam Ray. He is the knight. Me, we are the knight together. And this has been the I Am the Knight podcast. Adam, what does everyone out there need to do? Read more comics and watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.